The oil and gas industry has been producing tons of data for more years than most of us can remember. Amazingly, a lot of it is open to the public, but it's so hard to use. Today, we talk to people who are solving that problem in a completely new way. An industry under pressure. Innovation in its finest hour. This is the Oil and Gas Technology Podcast, where sharp minds reveal the brilliance and sheer determination turning great ideas into new realities. Hear about how it happens in real life with your host, Michael O'Sullivan. The views of the host are expressly his own and should not be construed as the views of Nutanix or any other corporation, consortium, governing body, or interplanetary federation. Hey everybody, welcome back to another fun, exciting episode of Oil & Gas Tech Podcast. We are here in the breathtaking, fabulous canon on the west side of Houston, where there are people here working. And so if you're looking for a place to work, this is a place that you should come because there's actual humans here walking around and doing stuff. Got a couple of great guests today. We got a really interesting topic that's actually a little bit different from the topics that we've been talking about lately. So it'll be fun. But before we get to these guys, a couple of things. One is please take a minute, leave us a review. It's great when you leave us reviews. It's not the only way, but it's the best way that we find out if you actually like what we're doing. And if you don't like it, then leave a bad review, but tell us what we should be doing differently. I send all of those to Mark. And the good reviews, they all come to me, but please do that. Also, a quick shout out to our sponsor, Cognite. We'll say a little bit more about them toward the end. And there's one more thing. Put these guys on hold for one second. One more thing I want to mention. On a previous episode, just recently, I had this little speech about how oil and gas has really not, you know, how technology has been part of our heritage. And, you know, we get these jokes a lot where people say, oh, oil and gas is always late to the party. And I, I ended with this clever little statement about like, we were tech before tech was cool. And I heard it again. <laughs> I heard it again today. And I thought about Mark LaCour on one of the recent episodes of this week podcast. He said he was talking about fossil fuels. And he said, you know, I hate that we call it fossil fuels because really, it's really a very organic process. And he, he went on to give this whole really nice, neat, tidy little explanation of, of how hydrocarbons actually are quite organic. So I was thinking about that and this technology thing. And it occurred to me that, you know, usually when we think about technology, we think about computers and phones and things like that and digital. However, if you look up the definition of technology, strictly speaking, it is the application of scientific knowledge for practical purposes. So... I think that Mother Nature is the original technologist in the oil and gas industry, because if you look at that process that turned all that stuff into fuel, I mean, there's nothing more practical. It's like she had her own algorithms and her own like scientific knowledge, and there's nothing more practical than making fuel for her vehicles and machines and things like that. So in fact, our history, our heritage and technology goes back even farther than I thought. It goes all the way back to Mother Nature at the very beginning. So put that one in your argument when people start telling you that we're behind the times and slow to adopt technology. That's it. That's all I want to say about that. I'm sitting here with <laughs> two people. These are non-brothers from different mothers. So I got BJ Cummings and Caleb Cummings, both of whom have the same last name, but you guys are not related. You're not from the same city, and one's from Oklahoma, and one's from Austin, and we're sitting here in Houston. So let me let you guys, first of all, thanks for coming in and, and being here in person, and welcome to the show. And so, 
BJ, a little bit about like who you are and what do you do. By the way, I forgot to mention these guys are from a company called Stonebridge, and we're going to learn more about them in a minute. So go ahead. Uh, absolutely. Thanks, Mike. BJ Cummings, director. I've been at, it'll actually be next Tuesday. I'll be at Stonebridge for 10 years. So started out in consulting, Stonebridge traditionally a consulting company. About six years ago, we really started up a, a product division focused on building data management software. And I, I took over that, ran it. We've grown over the last five years. We've entered some new markets with our Interpub in the public data market. And really excited to talk a little bit about how we see that changing, how we see the success, how we see the failures, and the lessons we've learned over the last, you know, the last 10 years. Cool. Yeah. So I think I've mentioned this on the episode before, but, you know, I spent a large, I like to say I grew up in the consulting world. Professionally, I grew up in consulting. And so I spent many years before I went off and started doing these fancy software things with people. But I always admired, of course, I, I knew about being in Houston. I knew Stonebridge for a long time. And I admired the way that you guys actually were able to go from being a pure services company to having tech and product and things. Because I know from experience that that is not for the faint of heart. That's not an easy thing to do. So that's that's really cool. Caleb, you're new, right? Like you just got here, right? Yeah, it's to been, the, I to think, the, uh, to not, the, quite a, not quite a month. To the company. So go ahead. No, no. So yeah, I Mike, appreciate you having us on. So, you know, past, I guess, a little bit more in the last half decade, last six years, really been in upstream data and data management. So I graduated college, you know, had a couple of jobs and then moved over to Drilling Info, which became Inveris, you know, worked there in the in the, in the the public data side. Data we already analytics. told all the Inveris name <laughs> jokes before we started recording. So we got plenty we'll, of them when, we'll when, 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 the, when the name was uh, announced. So, yeah, and then spent the last little half, well, about a year with, with IHS and really focused on that, on, on data management, right, inside the upstream oil and gas. So those are the usual suspects, right? I remember I saw that on your, on your LinkedIn profile. It's like, yeah, that's clearly that's the heritage of data management. And I think almost everybody has worked at IHS by now by this point, right? So it seems not too many people left who haven't been there. (laughs) You know what? If you haven't worked there, then you were probably at Drilling Info and refused to make that trip. Right. And 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 both of them are constantly trying to recruit the other people's people, right? So it's a fun world. Okay, so that's good. We are gonna talk today about I forgot to mention what we're talking about today, but it is about data management and Maybe not even so much data management because that's been done, but there's kind of a data predicament in the industry where, you know, this industry, you could say, you could probably argue that produces more data than almost anything else. A lot of people may not realize that, but, you know, when you really get under the hood through the whole life cycle, even beyond EMP and into uh, production and process and et cetera, like the amount of data in this industry is staggering. But we also know, and this probably isn't a big surprise to people, that uh, two things, really. One, that the industry has come to grips with the fact that we got to do more things with this data, and we got to do more things faster and more things better. So, So it's not enough to just have data that is there for the purpose of supporting the thing that it was for, but you have to do more stuff with it, right, to make your business run better. And we also know the second thing is that people, we're not very good at it yet, right? Like we're having trouble getting the value from the data. So maybe since you guys have this, you know, data, this broad data background in the industry, like why is that? Why is the industry struggling so much to a better job getting value from the data that it has? I think that's a great question. And I always ask myself as we're going in and we're talking with customers, potential customers, existing customers who have been on this journey. I mean, I still think it's crazy that, you know, 10 years ago we were talking about having consistent well header information. 
with some customers, we're still talking about the same thing. (laughs) Same thing, same thing. thing. You know, can you uniquely identify a well across systems? Or you have two different systems that identify in different ways, right? That's right. And I I think that's one of the challenges. You know, you look at G&G land reserves operations. You've got a plethora of systems out there that other industries don't have. Right. That were built in silos or that, that had worked in silos for years and years. Yeah. So right. a lot of those habits really, you know, have to be broken down to actually get value out of that data. And that's really what I've seen. And I would say it's been the biggest driver, right, is is the data is just siloed and has historically been managed by by the endpoint application. And getting that out and then, and then flattening that back out to, you know, the entire organization so people can make decisions it's, you know, it's probably at most companies, it's kind of like boiling the ocean. And you talk about, you know, it's a big project, let's try to do this, but you know, the devil's in the details. How do you do that? Yeah, so that last thing that you said is oftentimes not, my experience is not thought about enough, which is how do we get it out to people to be able to use it, right? Like that's not just the last bit that you sort out at the end, right? Because you can, because you can have, you can put a team of really smart data people together and they can do amazing things by pulling data from different places and, and your data scientists do all their magic and stuff. But now how do you operationalize that in a way that it can be channeled continuously at the right time to the right people or the right devices or whatever it is that is feeding. Is that what you guys are seeing when you're out there? Absolutely. I think one of the big things, I mean, really for data to be useful and to get it out there, it's, it's number one, it's got to be trusted. Oh, now, I I mean, that's like the the bottom line. I mean, that's that's exactly right. And that's what a lot of people, correct. I I want the right data to be correct. And I think that's where a lot of people make mistakes too, is they end up focusing on, Hey, if I can't get all this data corrected, I'm not going to do anything. I'm just paralyzed. It's analysis paralysis. Instead of starting with, you know, what data drives business decisions? Well, I've heard numerous times that most data scientists spend most of their time just cleaning up the data, right? Isn't that what, that's what they do. Uh, absolutely. And that's one of the big problems. I think when, you know, AI got popular, when people started going in there, they're like, we're going to hire all these data scientists. Well, at the end of the day, they're spending 90% of their time doing data engineering right. and correcting that data. And it's not even back at the source. So the rest of the business can use it. It's corrected or it's thrown out as part of those outliers in the models. Right. And your poor young data scientists are going, this is not what I signed up for. I (laughs) thought this was going to be fun. Right. Okay. So that's, so we're all familiar with that, with that problem, I guess, or maybe we're not all familiar, but anyway, it's a big problem and it's out there. You mentioned Stonebridge Consulting Company. I always knew Stonebridge as a consulting company, but I also know that you've, you've gone down number one, this data management, data probably beyond management now, right? But but you've gone down this data path and you've also gotten into the tech business, right? Into the product business. So why? I mean, apart from just like wanting to take a beating from all these these, <laughs> <laughs> these struggles that are out there, why did you pick the hardest thing and say, we're only going to do that? That's the only thing we want to do. <laughs> well, and I think we still have a very strong consulting business, but the, the reason we got in there is because we realized that there weren't applications out there or platforms that were able to meet some of the needs of the customers. People were cobbling together, you know, these systems multiple ways. They were using a multitude of tools. It was very complex. A lot of times they made it harder than it needed to be. They would have four or five different tools that they'd be paying for at the same time. Really, we saw the opportunity in there to go and solve those oil and gas problems in a way that was modular and that we could really build from the ground up. And that's one of the reasons we started Interhub is really looking at those building blocks of data quality, 
data management integration and automation and then the curation of that data which is analytics so talk, so so interhub so what is that <laughs> i mean i mean i know but <laughs> but maybe some people don't know what, what it's been around for a while though it's been four or five years it, right? it, it's been four or five years and really we came on strong after the initial downturn in 14 15 it is really when we launched that so it is a basically a set of products. Nobody was buying consulting services. <laughs> I was there. I remember. <laughs> uh, no, that's exactly right. Well, and, and you know, we thought to we thought to ourselves, and this is this is a great story. But we thought to ourselves, you know, wouldn't it be great if we could put together this platform and it would help people leverage their current investments, but also them give them the capability to build trust in that data, to integrate that data, and right, right. do the automation and to master that data so that they could get a consistent well count, so that they could share that well header information. Right. And then on the analytics side, which back to your previous point, you know, how do we make use of this data? It allows them to curate the data so that it's easily consumable. Right. And that's across multiple platforms. So, Caleb, you were out there in the usual suspects during that period of time, right? The, yeah. The data providers. That's right. What did the picture look like from that vantage point? Because uh, these guys were over here on the consulting and tech side going, there's a big gap here. We think we could fill this. What did it look like from your point of view? That's a really good question. And honestly, it's it's just seeing the shift is what caused me to want to jump into the data management world. It's been on the data side you know, so early on at DI, it was, you know, we need as much data as possible. We need, you know, we need to get this in-house. And it didn't matter what the cost was, right? Oil was, we were doing well. Right. So right. everybody, you know, the more the better. And then I noticed the shift, you know, maybe two, three years ago where it didn't, and there was about a six-month period where I sat down with a, you know, a small group that was just starting up and getting pretty sizable, commit, you know, private equity mm -hmm. backing. And at the, out the gate, four guys. And a week later, I was sitting down with a group that large, you know, multiple basins publicly traded. And they were both trying to solve the same problem. Both of them were trying to understand, okay, we've got all the data in the world, or we're going to have all of the data in the world. But how do I make sense of it? How can I build out some type of a, you know, database or a platform where I can bring in both my internal data, what I've got, what I'm going to go get through these different acquisitions? How can I take that and merge it with what we have from a public record, Right and then put some rules around that, master that data, and then be able to push that back out to all of our systems that people are using across the business. So I thought, for me, that was just seeing this real big shift where, you know, it didn't matter if it was a small group, intermediate, or really large, yeah, they yeah, were really yeah. starting to approach it from a- Yeah, you know, that's where you actually are able to get, so you mentioned a minute ago about the silos and, and all of that, right? Along with that were these people who had like, hundreds of years of experience right. doing very specific things in very specific ways. And they knew how to gather up all that stuff and do whatever it was they did with it. It's not scalable, right? It's not transferable. It's not. So I think the the methods that were out there for this kind of data for a long time, like it kind of worked because grumpy old so-and-so knew I just need this and this and this and forget about all the other nonsense and I don't care how much it costs, just get me that one thing, right? That's right. And so that was that that model stopped stopped working. But you mentioned public data in that explanation, which I don't know that, and I know that you guys have gotten into the Enterpub solution from Enterhub. I'm not sure that everybody, maybe not all of the all of our audience, 
understands like when we say a public data in this industry what are we talking about and like is it important is it a lot like how does it factor into the business what do we mean by public data absolutely and i think when we look at the public data we're really talking about data that the states provide so this is you know one of the challenges out there is there's varying degrees of data that each state requests from operators legally that they have to provide it's usually production wellheader information permit data survey data you know even some log files but all that sounds like after the fact data why do we care about getting to all of that after it's already happened <laughs> hey that's right and the big drivers before and i think this is something that it, that has changed i don't know if you guys uh, agree or not but before it was the the really the gng side where are we going to drill next what are we going to do right you know since covid i would say and since the downturn that's really changed too and it's become more of how do i operationalize or optimize my current production where do i need to be drilling on my current acreage and how am i doing competitively with my competitors and that competitor analysis piece has always been important but i think there's definitely more focus on that now than there has been for sure so how does so how do you see this solving the problem surrounding public data contributing to that and I think this is this is where Caleb and his background are so important. That's my trademark elevator noise. Uh, in the and, and we've got a great blog out there yeah. on, on the color of data that I think really sets our vision. Okay, that's on right. This. We'll put that in the show notes so people can. But but go ahead. So hey. why is this solving the public data problem so timely? now in the industry? I think two or things. Or is it not? And you guys are actually looking for like another job right now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, absolutely. I, and I think it's two things that we that we really want to hit on here. One is the, the rise of some of the technology, which I think looking at the technology landscape, it's easier than ever to provide this data out at a lower cost. The drivers behind that though are, you know, at one point you had these big firms, you know, Inveris, IHS going out there loading this data you know, providing some curation, improving the quality, but they were super expensive. Yeah. Super hard to get the data yeah, they out. They weren't known for being like, you know, cheap. Still right. aren't. Yeah. Still yeah. aren't. Yeah. Still yeah. Aren't. yeah. <laughs> and I think that's part of it, right? I think we kind of have to start looking at the public data a little bit differently and having that shift because you talked about it, right? So 10 years ago, it was, you know, it was a land game. It was a land rush. Be there first, right. get the best acreage, get tier one acreage, you know, and, and that's what everybody was trying to rush to. So who had the data first and who had, who could make sense of it and get right, there? Right, right. You know, and I think maybe that's where some of the, the larger, whether it's IHS or Inveris, you know, where I think there's opportunity for disruption is kind of got to view data a little bit differently, right? So, and in, in I say that maybe democratizing the data, right? Because it is more accessible now with the, the ability of things like Snowflake and, you know, some of the AWS, the ability to get that data out to, you know, everyone across your organization, you know, and to everybody in that space, much, much more easily accessible than it was 10 years ago. You know, 10 years ago, if I could show you there was permits offset you, that was a really big deal. Now, you know, we kind of moved beyond that. Yeah. Do you find that people in the, in the industry are, are more open to, you know, I mean, being protective of data is like sort of part of the DNA of the uh, industry, and are they more open to embracing new ways of handling the data that may not feel quite so protected, but can do a lot more good with it that way? Absolutely. You know, when we started this, before we jumped into this, because this, this is a big undertaking, especially for, you know, a company our size, and this is a big undertaking. When we jumped into this, we, we interviewed 40 to 50 different people across our customer base and new customers. Right. Uh, what we found at the end of the day, and this is one of the reasons we really feel like this is prime for disruption, is, hey, they're frustrated. It costs a lot. 
They want right. to lower those contracts. They're hard to get out of. They're stuck with them. You know, the other piece, too, it's difficult. Sometimes they're paying the providers, and then they're paying another company to actually load that data for them. Or they're right. doing it internally from an IT perspective, and it's difficult which, to which do. Which is not free, right? Yeah, which yeah. is not free. Right. I mean, all these things add cost. Yeah. And that's before they get to the part. Yeah. Absolutely of making a decision. And that's why we feel like with, with the data platforms, like Snowflake was our first release. Low-cost storage, data sharing out of the box, a couple of clicks of the button, and you've got this data in your environment. You can take it and do whatever. You can write queries directly against it. You can load it into your, you know, load it into other systems, Kingdom, Patrol. Yeah, yeah. So what about, do you see this playing in? One of the things that sometimes people overlook is that even though in this industry, you know, operators have been very sort of protected and put up, you know, I, I have a, an old friend who is, I mean, he's, he's been a friend for a long time, not saying, well, he is old, actually. He's older than me. <laughs> but he became a geologist, came out of college, I think, in the, I don't know, I want to say early 70s. And his first job was with, here in Houston, with like Texaco or wh- wh- whatever one of the main ones were there, like down here in Bel Air or something like that. And here he is, like this new, like freshly graduated geologist. They're showing him his new office and et cetera. And they said, and this is a true story, they said, they told him, okay, now, anytime you have any maps out on your desk, right, paper maps, seismic, you know, right. you need to make sure you close the blinds because there might be wow. somebody across the street with a telescope. <laughs> <laughs> so that's the history of the, like, the heritage of people in the industry. But one thing that people forget sometimes is even before all this new digital, you know, coolness started, a lot of these companies do have to work together to develop assets, right? Operators have JVs, but also you in any given effort, you got multiple service companies, you got EPCs, you got like developing an offshore asset involves half a dozen different companies. And historically, the way they shared the information with each other was like, like they did all their work and then they like made a PowerPoint of the results and handed that to the next guy, right? So do you see this kind of, this kind of, the stuff that you're doing, do you see it being valuable in terms of improving like the transactions between companies that are working together? Is that, that was a long lead into a very uh, simple uh, question, uh, but there was like a fun story in there. So I can yeah, give my ahead. sales answer and say, yes, <laughs> yes, of course, yes, of, of course, course. of no. course. But, but yes, absolutely. I think that is one of the things. And, you know, I think you look at this short and long term too. I think technology is really that driver that lowers that barrier of entry. So you're not passing back Excel files. It's not secure FTP. It's an instantaneous share. Right. And I think from an industry perspective, you know, to survive, this industry has to get as efficient as possible. I mean, sure. Yeah. I do see a shift in that. You know, notice that the last few years, there's still some operators, some really good operators that still, you know, guard that stuff with their life. Yeah. But yeah. I know a lot of, you know, you, you see more and more often where it's even written inside of, you know, their JV agreement, the type of data sharing that they're going to have, you know, and I've even seen... Right. It's been really good to see a lot of these groups that even if they're really not participating in each other's wells, just with their offset neighbors, there's data sharing going on between them. You know, I've seen that in some some of these groups in Midland Basin where there's just this data share going on where they understand, okay, look, we're going to make this, we're going to kind of have to do some of this together. So and that's really, you know, kind of the first step, I think, in a lot of ways of people yeah. viewing data a little bit differently. Yeah. I mean, there's this is kind of off your, outside of your scope, but th- I think that's why the digital twin thing is gaining so much traction or maybe you guys are involved with that but 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 some of these digital twin efforts are only valuable if 
multiple companies can access the same twin, right? Otherwise, That's right. You're not you're not fixing anything, right? So so yeah. Okay, we kind of danced around it for a little while. Go ahead and like, what is Interhub? Or in, excuse me, Interpub. Like, it's this new thing. We got that it's this new thing that you came out with that you worked on. Every time there's a downturn, you guys have some extra time, you come out with a new product. So what is Interpub? Interpub is access to public data. We started out with the Texas Railroad Commission so you can get wellheader information, production information. And that data set is growing rapidly and we're also loading multiple states. I'll tell you on the horizon too, and the greatest thing about this is Base level's free. No cost to the customer. This doesn't sound like a real good way to make money, free? does it? Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. I, and that's why we feel like it's prime for disruption. We really wanted to get it out there on the market. We feel like the, the states are doing a much better job of curating that data. So, so, you, so you're not like taking the data from the major providers and then adding some sort of like goodness on top of it. You're going right back to the source. We're going right back and, to the states. And short term, we wanted to get that out there. We think that the base level data should be free to, to customers. I think customers would agree. How were you able to do that so quickly? (laughs) (laughs) Well, it it was painful and it took a lot of hard work. So I'd be remiss without thinking the team there. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I'll say too, you know, this is V1. But a company spent decades trying to do this, right? And you guys like woke up one day and said, wow, we're going to go get all this data from the States and put a thing together. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, That's right. And and it's a small subset right now, but it is growing. I think the enabler there is really where technology is right now. I mean, as, as opposed to 10 years ago, 12 years yeah. ago, it has really lowered the barrier of entry for us to jump in there. Right. Like you don't need a human to read every single PDF file to figure That's out what right. to do with it, right? That's, right. That's exactly yeah. right. Yeah. We can use you know machine learning to start curating some of that data so that there's a consistent operator name. Right. Yeah. Cool. I mean, there's a lot of OCR softwares that are free now. Right. I hope they work better than the pen on my iPad because I'm still trying to get that thing. Right. <laughs> but... <laughs> No, that's right. That's right. And really, our our strategy there, though, is to keep this base layer free. We're going to add curation layers on top of this data and additional value adds that we may charge for in the future. But right Right. now, the base layer is free. Right. And you can, but besides the OCR, you can also, like, like you can use, you mentioned machine learning, right? You can do analytics on the content. It doesn't, on 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 unstructured data, right? Because that's the big thing is how do you, like, how do you create the metadata around this stuff so that you can actually create a usable system, right? So is that, was that part of like what made it go faster than, than maybe in the, in the past? Uh, absolutely. Like I said, I think technology is the game changer there. So, you know, currently we're leveraging Snowflake's platform, some of Microsoft's platform. We're looking at AWS now as well from an acceleration perspective. You know, those features have really shifted us so that we can get things done in, you know, days or weeks as opposed to months. Cool. So let's say I'm, what's his name? Mike from Tiger Oil. You ever seen the Tiger Oil memos? If you've never, if you've never seen the Tiger Oil memos, you gotta gotta go online and find those. He wrote some, the CEO of Tiger Oil wrote some amazing memos to his staff. You don't want to read them out loud in today's environment, but (laughs) let's say I'm him and I'm like, all right, you sold me. What does it look like? I think one thing that's confusing for people sometimes, like, especially with some of these efforts like OSDU and these other things that are happening is, okay, but like, what is it? Like, do I install it somewhere? Feel the is same with OSDU when I like, first heard like of it. Like what, like, how do I, how do I use it? How do I, like, does it come in? What, what colors does it come in? How do I hook it up? Right. So on this initial release, all you really have to do is have a Snowflake login. They have a free trial, $400 worth of credits that you can go get. You click the I want to share this data button and subscribe to it. We approve it and you have access to that data within Snowflake. Like, so how would I, I mean, 
you would log into Snowflake. You could write queries. We've got some out of the box there. You can. Yeah, well, that's my point. Is like, how do I take that data so now I can get to it in Snowflake? Maybe I can browse, look at it in my web browser. But how do I integrate it into my operations? You can connect it directly to so Spotfire, Power BI, all have a just regular ODBC connection. You can hook those up. You can also pull it directly with it, most of the ETL tools out there, and actually pull that, integrate it with your current apps. I mean, everything that you can do right now, only we've taken that layer of complexity out by hitting APIs, other things, which you can still do, and just being able to go at the data directly. Oh, that's cool. So it's a paradigm that people are already familiar with, right? Because when you were, so Caleb, when you were doing this for some of those other companies, that was kind of how people consumed it, right? Yeah, by and large, right? And that's where it was interesting, you know, is you had to have a be very heavy tech background to be able to get at some of those companies' APIs to be able to pull that down directly. Right. So yeah, it's it, the technology has come a long way in a really short amount of time. So people, so people can rapidly kind of assimilate this into what they're doing. That's cool. We are. I'm checking the time here. We're kind of getting. We're kind of getting close to the end. I'm sure you've got some. Like you said, it's just getting started. It's pretty new. Is anybody using it yet? Have you sold it? Is it, is it out there? <laughs> well, the free. So uh, it's free. I have well, looked right. at our last subscribing numbers. They, the, the level right now is free, okay. and, and it will stay free for well and production information, at least you know for the foreseeable future. Yeah, we, I mean, I don't know how many we have. Hundred and something people signed up as subscribers to this right now. Okay, so it's uh, it, it's moving the right direction. We've also got some. Cool. I, I can't share them today. Yeah, well, I'd love to question. share those. There must be more coming because you didn't just do this. You didn't spend all do all this hard work free. to come up with a free thing that only has a few things in it. So <laughs> what, what what's on the horizon? Uh, it, you know, it, we've got some great partnerships and ideas that are, that are going to forward us down the road. You know, three to five years, and I think really leapfrog some of the offerings that are currently out there. So I can't share those today, but I'd love to. I can't wait to share those with the market. Maybe we could do a part two on this here on this show in like a few months, something uh, yeah. like that. That's Next exactly year, right. Maybe, I, maybe I think a few months we'll be, so we'll, we'll keep we'll be ready. Just like on House Hunters, they return back after the yeah, buy. After Let's the, see how that yeah, went. See how it went. Yeah, no, it'd be good to get you guys on because it's something that there's so many innovative things happening right now so many you know people coming up with great ideas and everybody wants to come they want to come on the show and talk about it but one of the things i always try to get at right is like okay but like is it working right like right yeah yeah no is this this an idea out there are people getting benefit from it yet and and so many of these innovations are still so new that it's hard to say right like like we think this is going to add value we're pretty sure but and that's one of the things that faces that the tech leaders in the industry today. I hear this all the time. People in IT or other areas or digital, where they where they say like they're trying to reduce their decision risk. Right? There's so many things I could do, but I don't want to decide to do something that. And I find out, and in three months or six months, I realize ah. You know, they only gave me $2 and I spent it on the wrong thing, right? I should have done this other thing over there. I mean, ERP systems, we know they work. We know the value that we get from them, right? You just got to pick the one that you like. But this stuff is all very new. So it'd be interesting to to know, you know, how is it like as things evolve, how is it creating value? Or if you have any of those cool stories that you want to share right now real quick, you can go ahead or we can say stand by for, for, for part two. I, I, I think it's stand by, but you know, one of the things you mentioned devaluing risk there, one of the things we'd love to hear is, you know, like I said, we talked to 40, 50 people across companies. 
we love to continue to hear from that, you know, from the community, the users of this public data on what they want to see. I mean, our roadmap is being shaped great, as we yeah. speak. Yeah, yeah. And now is a great time if you want things to change to be able to reach out. That's good. That's, a, that's an excellent point. Which brings me to the last thing to mention, which is how do people find you or connect with you or learn more about what you're doing? I mean, how do they let you know about all the great ideas that they have about what they want to do with public data? Uh, that's great. I think you can go to our website, www.sbconsulting.com. You can also reach out. Caleb and I will provide our LinkedIn information, our emails, and our phone numbers, and just encourage the community to reach out to us. Right, right. Oh, and then there's the blog post, which you mentioned, which was written by your... Uh, the, the president of Stonebridge, Adam president, Hutchinson. Adam, yeah, wrote that. Yeah, I read it. It was good. We'll have some more blog posts coming out here, some more original content. We'll have some interesting ones coming up. From you know, And on these next few that we're going to have, we're going to do some some things with others that are in the industry. So kind of reaching across the table and let's, you know, getting a yeah, view good. of data from, good. you know, groups that are at, you know, people that are at, you know, different operators or funds. So, and, and what cool. they're running into. All right. Very good. Well, that, appreciate you guys being here today. That's going to pretty much wrap it up, but w- w- it would be good to come back and do a, do one later. Let me say a couple of more things for those of you who are still listening, still tuned in. Well, cause you know, the joke is people only listen to podcasts for a couple of minutes, right? And then they, <laughs> they like to, but not this one. People listen to this one all the way through to the end because we have really good guests that have great insights. Do want to thank our sponsor, Cognite. If you haven't checked out Cognite, take a look at what they're doing. So they're in a kind of a different area from what Stonebridge is doing. They're dealing with industrial data and they're doing some really innovative things with industrial data and contextualizing it and making it more intuitive. So take a look at Cognite. Also, I want to mention our street team, the OGGN street team led by the valiant Warren Spiewak. I think they're still not out on the real streets yet, but they are on the virtual streets. And it's a great way to get involved. And it's a great way to get involved with OGGN, to get involved with the industry, to take up all that extra time that you have instead of watching Netflix. And you can find them, you can find their LinkedIn group in the usual place. And you can also find the OGGN LinkedIn group. And you can take a look at the new OGGN.com website, which was just launched by our brilliant Midnight Marketing, by the team at Midnight Marketing, who did a beautiful new website for OGGN. And that is going to do it for today. I'm going to say it one more time. Remember that here in Oil & Gas that we were tech before tech was cool. And here are the events on deck. Hey everybody, it's Savannah from OGGN, and here are the events on deck for December 2020. This month we only have three events, but if you'd like the full list, you can click the link in the show notes to sign up for our events newsletter. We send it out every month, and it includes more info about the events that I talk about here. We even include events that occur two months ahead of time, so if you're interested in always staying in the loop about oil and gas events, make sure to check that out. First up, we have our two OGGN live streams, and on the third, we have Moving Up in a Downturn, and on the eighth, we have Quality Management in a Down Economy. The only in-person event we have this month is the API and SPE Houston Chapter Luncheon about the rebuilding of the American oil field, which will be at the Petroleum Club on the 8th. Other than these events, OGGN may be hosting some more live streams this month, so make sure to check out our Facebook, LinkedIn, or our website for more information about any of the live streams we have coming up. If you have any questions about the events or any of our shows, make sure to reach out to me through my email in the show notes. That's all for December, and I hope you guys have a great month, and thanks for tuning in. Check us out next week for another entertaining and yet useful episode of Oil & Gas Tech Podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at OGGN.com.